Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. So uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Fritz Bilo. I'm one of the pastors here, and super glad you're here in the house. I want to say welcome to our guests, um, and I want to say good morning to Bluffton community, our uh, team in Fostoria, and then everybody joining us in our online campus as well. Uh, thanks for being here today. So when Christina and I, my wife, uh, we got married, uh, we knew one day we would start having kids, and um, I had always just, I don't know, I'm a thinker, I'm a processor, and so I always try to think ahead, and I kind of had some ideas for names uh, of kids if we were to ever have uh, children, and so uh, so our first uh, baby that was born was a son, and so we named him Jackson. Uh, our second uh, baby was a boy, uh, we named him Levi. <laughs> Uh, Our third baby was a boy, and we named him Hendrix, and so when I found out Christina was pregnant with our fourth child, I was like, hey, I only make boys, so uh, we're good to go. I had a a girl's name picked up in the back of my mind that I always thought would be cool um, if we had a daughter, but um, it seemed like uh, our trajectory uh, was fellas, and uh, so then we found out that uh, our fourth baby was going to be a girl, so it was like, oh, great. we get to use this name. And so um, we named our daughter Karis Madison Bilo. Now, the Madison comes from that. This is my wife's idea. Uh, that is the name of the street that her and I very first met on uh, is Madison. So uh, it worked out really well. And then Karis, uh, we chose that, is that uh, word has always struck me. Um, and you, you may or may not know this, but Karis is the New Testament word uh, for grace. So when you're reading and you read the word grace in the New Testament, most times you are reading, uh, behind that is the Greek word charis. Now in our culture, there's a lot of different meanings for this idea of grace. Uh, But for the Bible, there's one. And there's a lot of fun happening in that room, right? I love that. Hey, let me just tell you this. Our, our kids team knows that if we can't hear kids having a great time, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> and so I hope you enjoy those sounds uh, as much as I do this morning. But when the Bible talks about the word grace, there's one meaning in mind, and that's this. Grace is God's undeserved kindness, That's what grace means when we're looking at it in the scriptures. Uh, Another way that it's defined is grace is God's uncoerced initiative and extravagant demonstration of care for us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Here's the last one. Grace is a gift. It's a gift. And, And by essence of gift, you cannot pay for a gift that's given to you. Because if you do, it's not a gift anymore. You cannot earn a gift because if you do, it ceases to be a gift. And you can't trade for a gift because it's no longer a gift. And so this idea of grace, actually inherent within it, grace has a humbling effect to it. All right? And because and, you can only receive grace. You can only receive the gift of grace. And and that's a little bit startling. I would even go so far as to say a little bit offensive in our culture, because in our culture, we make our own way. 
We, I, I, I have earned everything I have, right? I didn't ride in on anyone else's coattails. And so when we talk about receiving things freely, it's a little, it, it strikes a weird chord, right? It rubs us just a little bit raw. Well, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told a parable to his disciples. And, and before I share it with you, um, here, let me give you a little insight to parables, because I think a lot of times we, we hear these parables that Jesus teaches, and our minds go to all kinds of different places, and, and that's not really what it's designed to do. So parables, when we hear parables, parables have one primary meaning, one primary point, one intended response, okay? So they're not allegories, they're not metaphors, they're, they're, they're specific, they're parables. And to get to that primary point, here's what parables use. They use two elements. One is a point of reference that everybody understands and everybody gets. And the other element is called the unexpected turn. You thought a story was going to go because we all have the same point of reference and you thought a story was going to go a certain way. And then there seems to come out of nowhere this unexpected turn. And that is when we get pulled in to the point of the parable, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind, point of reference, unexpected turn, and there's one primary point to a purpose, uh, to a parable. So in Matthew 20, Jesus tells a parable to his disciples about a landowner. And this landowner needed people to work in his vineyard. And so he went out first thing in the morning, he finds some workers. And he says, hey, if you'll come out and work in my field, I will pay you a day's wage. And so they agree, and they get to working. Well, he finds out he needs more workers. So he goes out again, finds more workers, and says, will you come and work for my, in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what's right. And they say, okay. Then he does it again, and then he does it again. Then he gets all the way to the fifth, like about five o'clock in the afternoon, right? There's like one hour of work left. He's like, we need more people. And he goes out, and he finds people still standing around. And he says, why haven't you started working? And they go, well, nobody hired us, so we're just here. So he says, listen, you go, you work in my vineyard, I will pay you what is right. And so they get to it, and they work the last hour of the day. So then payday comes, right? You always pay at the end of the day in this culture, as opposed to every week or every other week or however you receive your, your payments. But they come, and, what, and there's, what happens here is you have these workers come in and receive their payment, and the people who get paid first are the last workers, the people who showed up at 5 o'clock. That's a little different. And when the landowner pays these last workers, he pays them a full day's wage. The Bible might, your Bible might refer to it as a denarius. They get a denarius. And so when they get the, they're like, whoa, this is great. I like working for this guy. And then everybody else is going, well, if they got a full day's wage, if they got a denarius, they only work an hour. Oh, man, I can't even believe how much we're going to get. And so the, the people who came at 6 in the morning and worked all day long come up to get their payment, and they got a day's wage. <laughs> One denarius. They got it as well. And they got angry. They got upset with the landowner, and they're going, wait a second, this isn't right. And the landowner says, wait a second, you and I agreed that if you worked a full day, I would pay you a full day's wage. Is that, isn't that the agreement we agreed to? Right? And, and what is it to you if I choose to be generous to other people? You're receiving the agreement that we agreed to at the very beginning. Can't I do with my own, what I choose to do, right? And then Jesus ends the parable saying, for the last will be first 
and the first will be last. Okay? Now, in this parable, the points of reference are the landowner and a day's working. Okay? Everybody understands that if you work a day, however many hours you work, that's how much you get paid. That's the normal expectation. Everybody would get that. And so the day begins normal, right? You hire the people. They're going to get a day's wage. The expectation is that the additional workers who come later, they're going to receive prorated wages. And so the unexpected turn, when does the unexpected turn first come? At pay time. At pay time. And there's a couple of them, right? The, the first one is that the last are paid first. That's not typical. The second turn is that the last workers are paid a full day's wage. And then the third unexpected turn is that everyone is paid the same. Everybody receives one day's wage, which quite frankly is what they need. It's what everybody needs, right? Now, if you understand that, you just entered into the tension. You just entered into the tension of the parable. And the reality is this. If hearing that parable and all of the elements that are tied to it, if that doesn't bother you a little bit, you're not really paying attention. (laughs) And you've already come to the conclusion uh, of this ahead of time. But that wouldn't have been the case when Jesus was talking to his disciples, right? And so to realize that every single person who worked was paid the same, whether they worked 12 hours or whether they worked one hour. That's massive. And you get these earlier workers who actually get angry because they felt we're worth more than these later workers, You can't do this. That's not fair. Now, put yourself in the position of the later workers as well. Imagine you know you only worked an hour, maybe even less than that because it took you time to get there, and you were paid a full day's wage. Isn't that a little embarrassing? Isn't it a little humbling? Because you know you didn't do the work for that. You didn't earn what was given to you. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got people who are angry. On the other hand, you've got people who are humbled, right? All of this is going on. And what is happening in this parable is Jesus is showing is that grace exposes the character of people. Grace exposes the character of people. Grace exposed the character of the first workers. They felt cheated. I'm worth more. I deserve more. I did more. Even though they received what they agreed to, the agreement was set. They, got, they weren't shortchanged. Grace exposed the character of the landowner, that he's generous with his resources. And if you read the parable, you see that he's actually very kind when people are angry with him for his unreasonable generosity. Right? And, that, and here's what Jesus is saying. That's what God's kingdom is like. That's what grace is like. You see, God's grace is not limited to our ideas of fairness. In fact, God's grace is extravagant. God's grace is so overwhelming, it'll bother you sometimes, right? And it'll expose who you really are. And so for some, when you hear about God's grace, actually it stokes kind of coals of anger, right? And we're crying foul. And we're asking, well, what about fair? That's not fair. Everybody should get what they deserve. And for others, when they encounter God's grace, it becomes this source of joy. 
when they encounter this grace, it actually humbles them because they recognize the weight of this gift. Now, I know when I very first came to faith, um, I thought one of the best ways that I could um, respond to God and his grace was to live his way, right? To do what he asked me. And I still think that's right. But over time, what I started to do was I actually started to manipulate um, God's grace and my salvation. It was, I based it off of how well I lived. And so if I was doing good, then God must be very happy with me, and, and I'm proving to him that I'm worth this. But if I'm not doing well, well, then I've got to find some way to prove to him that I'm, I'm better than this, right? Um, because maybe he's going to take his grace away from me. Um, and so what happened, that whole process kind of just led me down the pathway of legalism, of self-righteousness and judgment. And what I started to begin to do was actually I began to judge other people by their actions, and I judged myself by my own intentions, even though my actions were the exact same as theirs. Right? Going, well, I'm different. Because I know what my heart is, and, but I know what they did, and so those, they're really bad people. I'm still good because I meant to do better, even though I did the exact same thing, uh, right? And so, like, that's the road, that legalism. And, and what, what happened was I just became miserable. <laughs> uh, I was miserable. I was exhausted of trying to keep this code, whatever this code I had formed and, and come up with. And one day while I was reading the Bible... Uh, I remember I was actually in the book of Ephesians. I was in chapter 2, and I remember reading the Bible that day, and the Holy Spirit, for the first time, right, the Holy Spirit helped me to see, open my eyes to grace, to real grace, to, to God's grace, right, the gift that can't be earned, the gift that can't be paid for, the, can't, the, the gift that can't be traded, right? I, I saw it for the first time, and my life was changed again. Right, a new, a fresh. And what happened over that time is judgment began to release its hold on me. And the only way I can describe it is this I started to enjoy God. I started to enjoy Him. Just just being with Him. Right? I don't know any other way to describe it. Maybe even for the first time. And so God's grace had changed me anew, afresh. Right? And I'm wondering, here in this room, I'm wondering that at some of our other locations, have you ever, can you identify with this exhaustion? Have you ever had this level of misery that you're going through trying to, trying to live up, trying, and you know you don't, and you're trying so hard, and, and it's just not panning out? I wonder if you can identify with some of the things that I went through as well. Well, as Matt mentioned, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, or you can click over on your device. Um, we're kicking off this new series called The Overflow of Grace. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to discover what does it look like when God's grace overflows from him into our lives, and what does that, how does that affect like our relationships with other people? How does that affect the way that we serve? How does that affect the resources that God puts in our hands when, when we start at this place of God's 
grace. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Now, um, I just want to invite you, so these next, these next, today and the next three weekends, all kind of build on each other. So I really would encourage you to take the next step that, man, I am dialing in, I'm plugging in for the next three weekends, today and the next three, uh, to do this series. Um, because if you kind of bop in and out, you're going to miss some really critical things. So that's just kind of a shepherding point uh, to share with you this morning. But Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start with God's grace. I'm going to read um, past, uh, excuse me, verses 4 through 7 from the English Standard Version, but you can read along in the version that you have or follow on the screen. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, there's three truths that I want to just kind of put in front of us this morning. And the first one is this. As you have to start, the starting place is that God's grace overflows from God's character, okay? You have to see that. God's grace overflows from God's character. See, Paul begins verse 4. He starts it out with, but God. He's starting that verse, that passage with God. And so you have to see that grace comes from God. It's actually a part of who he is. It's his character. He's a grace-giving God. In fact, God's act of creating the universe, God's act of creating us, that in and of itself is an act of grace, that he would even do that. And so when you see God, you have to know that he is graceful, meaning he is full of grace. That's a part of just who he is. Now, there are some people who only focus on God's grace, but God's more than that, right? His character is much, much greater than grace alone. When you look at the scriptures, you see things like God is holy. And when we talk about that, means he's very, very different than anything else. There is nothing else like him. He's holy. He's perfect. He's unique. He's set apart from anyone or anything else. Another thing you see pretty quickly is you see that God is just, right? Now, justice, let me say this, because we have a very, uh, very specific view of justice in our culture. Um, it's a little bit in alignment with Scripture, but it's, it's, it's more than just kind of the legal system and things along those lines. Let me tell you what biblical justice is at its core. Being just is always keeping your promise. That's the, heart, that's the core foundational level of justice. Always keeping the promise, no matter what the consequences are whether they're blessings or whether they're punishment. And you have to know that God always keeps his promise. God always upholds his word. That's what makes him just. That's what shows the character of justice within him. And so God, right, he's, he's holy and he's just. And, and this is who God is, but he's, he's so much more than that, right? But that I just want to give you a little bit of a taste of his character. And it's in fact, it's God's holiness, it's God's justice, it's God's perfection, um, it's his unchangeability. It's all of these other attributes that makes his grace so remarkable, 
When you see him, in his, as much as he's revealed himself to us, when you see that, you begin to see how remarkable God's grace is. Why? Why is God's grace so amazing? Well, that's our second truth. It's this. See, God's grace flows from his character, but God's grace is his response to our sin. God's grace is his response to our sin. And so God is perfect, he's holy, he's just, he's, he's all of those things, and then we show on the scene, and we're sinful, right? That's, that's who we are, we're sinful. And we begin dead in our sin. Now, if you've been in the church for a little bit, that's probably something you've heard before. So let's take a moment to just kind of explain, what does that mean, to be dead in sin? Well, to be living in sin, to be in sin means to live your life without regard for God to live independent of his leadership, to live under our own self-leadership. That's the essence of sin. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what God has asked me to do. I'm going to rely on myself or someone else instead of relying on God. And you have to know this, is that sin always leads to death. Why? Because sin separates us from God, and God is the author of life. And so if you're separated from the author of life you, by sin, you are now separated from life itself. And that's why we're dead in our sin. Now, I think it's helpful. C.S. Lewis, uh, who is a Christian writer, very, very helpful, very thoughtful in his writings, he refers to this as bios and zoe, okay? Because some of you guys are going, dead in our sin, dead. I don't feel dead. I mean, like, my heart's beating and my brain is firing synapses, at least I'm told. Uh, you know, like, I, I feel alive. I don't feel dead. You know, what is that? And so, C.S. Lewis says, well, bios is the heart pumping. Bios is your brain, you know, firing off the synapses and responding to all of those different types of things. That's bios. That's biological life. But then there's zoe. <clears throat> and zoe is the spiritual life from God. And so he says this, without Zoe, we're statues. We're statues. We look like God. We're kind of a representation of God, but we're not alive. We're actually dead. And if you want to go one step further, what we are is we are on a bus barreling downhill, out of control, headed for a cliff, and we can't stop. That's, that's like basement level. That's what it means to be dead in our sin. Okay, and I want you to look at verse 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this. Even Actually, let's do this. Let's read this out loud together. Are you ready? Start with even when. Are you ready? Go. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even while you and I were dead in our sin, lifeless statues, we had bios, but we didn't have zoe, God showed us grace. While we, while we were still shaking our fist in the face of God, God showed us grace. Grace. When we turned our back on God, God responded with grace. We told God, I hate you, I don't need you, and God responded with grace, even while we were dead in our trespasses. Why would he do that? It's the overflow of his character. Do you see, it begins with him. 
It's, it's the overflow of who he is. Well, then the next question then naturally comes, well, how did God show us grace? Well, quite, quite frankly, through Jesus' death on the cross. That's how he showed us grace. You see, it was actually the cross is this amazing moment where God maintained his holiness by remaining removed from sin, but then he also held his promise, keeping justice. And so Jesus lived this sinless life while he was on earth, and then on the cross took the punishment that every single one of us earned for ourselves through our sin. And so through his resurrection, through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus actually takes care of our debt and then he gives us the gift of forgiveness. He gives us the gift of joining with God for the first time to be brought back to life, right? And so because of Jesus now, we have access to real life. Right? Think about this. The bios now can have the zoe. And, and Lewis said this, that when a person goes from only bios to zoe, it is as big a change as a statue being turned into a real man. It's that huge of a step that when you and I cross into real life with God, this massive transformation takes place. And it's at the death and the resurrection of Jesus where all of God's character gets put on display. His holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his power, his love, his grace. Right? It, it takes place right there on the cross and the resurrection because Jesus did what we never could do. Jesus took the bullet with our name on it. While we're standing on the train tracks and the train is coming at us full bore, Jesus pushes us out of the way and stands in our place. Right? He saves, he saved our lives. God's response to our sin is grace. Do you start to get an idea of how remarkable, how amazing, how incredible, how wonderful God's grace really is? Well, here's the last truth is that God's grace has an overflowing purpose. You see, Paul revealed that in verse 7. In verse 7, he says this, Here's why God showed his grace, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Right? And so he's saying, listen, through Christ's life, through Christ's death, through Christ's resurrection, God put his character on display for everyone to see. Because God wants you to know who he is. God wants you to know him. And it's in Christ that God gave us the clearest image of his character. You cannot get a better picture of God than through Christ. Jesus actually said this, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And so on the one hand, we will marvel at God's incredible kindness and his generosity for all of eternity. We're going to be wowed by it. We're never going to be able to plumb the depths of his love. We'll never be able to grasp it all. And on the other hand, it's God's grace that actually draws people to him. It's the thing that actually calls people to know him. And so you and I have benefited today from believers for the hundreds and thousands of years before us, right? You and I are standing on their shoulders, benefiting from their prayers, benefiting from their ministry and their work and their trust in God, right? We were the coming ages for them. And it seems, anyways, that there's likely to be some coming ages beyond us. And there will be people 
who, because of your generosity with the gospel, because of your prayers, because of your ministry, because of your trust and reliance on God, God's going to use that to draw them to genuine faith as well, right? And so it's every disciple's joy to share that grace with other people, because God intended that his grace would overflow out of him into us, and then it would overflow out of us into others around us, right? That's the overflowing purpose of his grace. So we cross over to this last question, right? It's like this. Okay, all of that's true. What do I do with that? What do I do with this? That God's grace flows from his character. That God's grace is his response to our sin. That God's grace is meant to overflow out of who I am. What What do I do with this? How do we respond to this truth? And I will tell you what I think Paul is inviting us to do from the scriptures, and it's this. Here's the response. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Seriously, learn to enjoy God's grace, right? Like, we, we, we simply, we invite the gospel to thrill our souls and to overwhelm us and to let it fill us with joy, right? Well, how do you do that? Well, Paul's kind of already helped us to get started here in Ephesians, right? He says, listen, enjoying God's grace begins with understanding the gospel. It's understanding the problem of sin and death. It's understanding the solution is Jesus Christ alone. He says, you got to understand the overflow and how that changes you. You were dead. You were a lifeless statue. And now in Christ, you've been brought to life. You had bios, but now you have zoe. And so when you begin to understand that and you let that just to, to well right up within you and to permeate who you are, joy begins to develop. You see, what I'm about to share with you is so counterintuitive to our culture because we are used to everything instant. I had to wait like 17 minutes to make french fries last night. It felt like forever. <laughs> Instapot my rear end. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> insta 17 minutes. Uh, but no, listen, it, with, the, with the gospel, it ta- the gospel takes time to really grasp a hold of your life. It just simply does. It takes time to let the roots grow throughout all of your being. And once you get a hold of the gospel, what begins to happen is the gospel gets a hold of you. And it begins to permeate throughout your whole... It's, it's one of the reasons you and I, we keep going back to the gospel again and again and again and again here at Lighthouse Community. Because every time we remind each other of God's grace, what happens is this. It invades a new area of our lives that's still in need of renewal. Right? That's why twice in Ephesians, Paul prays that we would understand the hope, the love, the grace that God has shown us. Paul prayed that we would even have the strength to comprehend Christ's love for us. And every time you revisit the gospel, every time you look at what Christ has done and you think on that deeply, it's like looking at a diamond. Right, And so if, you, if you're looking at a diamond, there's all these cuts, there's all these faces, there's all these facets, and every time you look at a different facet, the light comes through in a new way, in a fresh way, and you see something you didn't see before. That's what it's like looking at the gospel. Now, let me warn you. Here's, there's a warning on this, because right now it's like it's joy, it's grace, it's wonderful, it's all this stuff. Let me warn you. God's grace, when you're really thinking and meditating on it, what it will do is it will shed light it will seek out and shed light on areas of pride in your life. 
God's grace, you know what it is? It's like this uh, pride-seeking missile, right? And it, and it just, and it goes and it finds it. And being, right, like, like being confronted with God's grace may actually elicit surprising responses from within you sometimes. When you're confronted with God's grace, sometimes you might get angry, right? You might get defensive. You, you might start to argue with God, right? If you haven't done this, you have not spent enough time reflecting on the gospel yet. It will come, okay? Here, here, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this happens. Because God's grace takes all of your work, all of your good deeds, all of your efforts to live a good life, right? All of your attempts to write your life on your own, God's grace takes all of that and places a sticker value on it, okay? It, he, he marks the value of all of your good work, all of your effort, all of the things that you've put in to try to get things right, and God's grace shows you what they are worth in light of eternity. Do you know what the value of them are? Zero. It's zero. That all of your effort and all of your hard work to pay back and all of your, your, you've put in to lead this good life, when it gets put up against the person of Christ, the true value shines forth. And you look at that and you go, that's it? All of that? And it totals to, to zero? They don't account for anything. One of the interesting things about Jesus' parable is this. We're all 11th hour workers. You have to know that. Every one of us are 11th hour workers. None of us has worked a full day. None of us has kept the agreement between God and us. We all fall short of God's righteous expectations. We're all 11th hour workers. And, and quite frankly, until you see that you're bankrupt, that that's where you start, you will always try to earn and make God indebted to you. And you'll always fail. And you'll always be frustrated. And you'll always be overwhelmed. You know, for so many years, I didn't know that I was supposed to enjoy God. I just didn't know that. I just figured it was up to me to stop doing bad things and to start doing good things. And so then I could prove my worth to God. God, aren't you lucky that you saved me? Right? <laughs> I'm one of the good ones. Right? And, and no, one, no one ever really discipled me to know God's grace. Right? So, so what I did is I tried to grind it out. And, and then, like I shared with you before, one day God opened up my eyes to his grace, and he showed me that I could never earn his love. I could never earn it. I could never pay it back. I could never trade for it. I could never do anything of value to, to like pay for it, that all I could do was receive it as a gift. And that moment has been as significant as a moment for me as when I very first came to faith. Right Now, once you're in Christ, once you're made alive, right? You're, you're raised up and you're seated in the heavenly places. 
But you have to see that all of that is in Christ, and it doesn't come on your own. You know, even after you come to faith in Christ, you still need God's grace. <laughs> you still need the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel onto something else, right? You actually dive into that deeper. You dive in deeper into God's grace more than ever, because it's the gospel that continues to transform your life, making you more reliant on God and less independent. And there are moments you're going to slip up, right? And, and you're going to try to act without, without him. And that's when the Holy Spirit helps you to resist that. He changes your mind about a lot of different things. One of them is that you stop trying to pay God back because you can't and you won't, right? So you're always being transformed. And you see, you begin to see that there's nothing you can do to add what Christ has already done. You actually begin to see what Martin Luther, right, the famous Reformationist, what he saw. I love, this is what Martin Luther said. He says this, Luther said that to try and add anything with our own good works to what Christ has already done is absurd, it's offensive to God, and it's even heretical. This is how much he put forward to say for us to try to add to what Christ has done. You see, Christ lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that every single one of us deserved to die. But now, in light of Christ. In light of God's grace, we see, right? You start here. You see that you're actually more sinful than you ever dared dream, right? And at the exact same time, you are more loved than you could ever fully realize. Those two things are true at the exact same time. And you don't see that until you see it in the light of Christ and in grace, and the more you understand the gospel, the more you let the gospel get into you, then the more the gospel comes out of you, and your joy grows, and it becomes more complete. And what happens is sharing the gospel doesn't become this requirement for the religiously committed. Right? Oh, they must really love their church because they're telling people about it. You know, No, 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 no. It's not this requirement. Instead, it just becomes the overflow of a life that's actually been affected by God. It's just, you're just, it just happens. It just takes place. It's just going on, right? All of these things. And as you tell others about who Christ is, what happens is you end up getting a front row seat to watching somebody pass out of death, pass out of separation, and step into the Zoe. You watch a statue be transformed into a real person. Right? It's amazing. It's remarkable. That's what it's like to enjoy God's grace. And so I just want to share a really, really practical and, and some of you guys are going, oh, you have to do this. I don't have to. I actually rewrote this part four times. <laughs> I actually believe this is the best option. I want to give you a next step that you might do to enjoy God's grace. It's really, really simple. Matt and Anna already talked about it. If you haven't already, sign up for a group, like for real. Like it's in groups where we talk about God's grace. We talk about the scriptures. We let that permeate our own lives. We pray for one another, right? We walk with one another through life and through challenges, right? All of, and we're watching God transform one another in the process. I got to tell you, some of my very best friends have come out of groups. I have learned so much about so many of you simply by spending time studying scripture and praying with you and being in groups, right? It's, it started there. I've seen God grow me. I've seen God grow you. And so we don't, we don't go into a vacuum and, and, and like figure out how to be, like learn to be more graceful. Right? We actually do that with your lives, rubbing up against one another. And groups is just a really easy way to do that. You, you, he does more in 10 weeks than you realize he could do. It's, it's amazing. And so don't miss this opportunity. I would encourage you to jump in. This is shared before. 
back of the connection card, really easy, that yellow catalog, uh, sign up, don't miss that opportunity. But you have to see that on our own, we're destined for eternal separation. We're destined for chaos. Uh, Separated from God forever, we're always growing ever more sinful. We're always growing ever more treacherous, treacherous. But hell, you have to catch this. Hell is the complete removal of God's grace. I've had people ask me, do you, do you think that the flames in hell are real and literal? And I've thought about it. And my answer is, maybe. But I think they're trying to represent something far worse that only that gets kind of close to the direction. I think a complete removal from God's grace that's, that's the truth, from his presence, from any inkling. That's, that's the true separation. And so we grow for all of eternity to become the absolute worst that we can ever be, and we ever discover the depths of our sin. But as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, but God, <laughs> but God, rich in mercy, overwhelming in grace. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, we have been saved by grace, not our own works. God has changed all that by his great love, his mercy, his grace. God has changed all that through Jesus Christ. Learn to enjoy his grace. Seriously, learn to enjoy it. Push past your resistance let me, let me share, I just want to share with you real quick what my prayer has been for, for all of us this week. My prayer has simply been this, is that the Holy Spirit would free us from the spirit of religion. That he would free us from the spirit of trying to pay back something we never could. My prayer has been that we would learn to enjoy God's grace to the absolute depths that we can now, setting up that which we're going to experience for all of eternity one. That's been my prayer. My prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would teach us to enjoy every single drop of God's grace that he has poured out for us. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We ask this question every weekend. It's a very simple question. Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message? And then I just want to give you an opportunity to listen. What's he saying to you? Now, if you're a regular at Lighthouse, you know that we love praying for one another. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing another song. And we're going to have prayer leaders who are available in every corner of the room, here by the cross, over on my left, your right, and then in the back, two corners as well, available to pray with you about any area of your life. Here's what I want to do first. We're going to do something a little bit different. This week, I was going through a couple of days of uh, legitimate pain uh, just in my own body. And um, after only focusing on myself... (laughs) 
the Spirit reminded me that there are a lot of people in our church family, there are a lot of people in our county who that is something they face every single day. And so it led me to just be praying for people I know and people I don't know, that God would sustain them and bring healing in their lives. And so I just, I know how challenging it was for me to move around and to do simple, basic things. Um, the few days that I was wrestling with it, I can't imagine those who, this is the constant day, daily grind for them. And so here's what I just simply want to do. Um, I'm not trying to call anybody out or whatsoever, but just simply this. If that's been you in your own life, and you're like, man, I've, I've been struggling this week with pain in my life, or this is just my daily existence, and I'm wrestling with that. If that's you, here's what I'm just going to ask you to do. Would you just stand up right where you are? I just want to pray for you. I want to be able to look you in the face and know that I'm praying for you specifically and to pray for healing. And so I'm just going to ask you to do that right now. Uh, if, you're, if that's you and you're like, man, I've been struggling with pain, um, just stand up right where you're at. Anyone else? Good. Stay standing with me for a moment because I want to take a moment and I want to pray with you and pray for you. Father, I'm looking at brothers and sisters, friends and family who this is a regular occurrence for them. I dealt with it for a couple days. And these are people who are dealing day in and day out. Or maybe this week has been really bad for them. And I'm praying that you would bring relief, you would bring healing, you would bring restoration, you would do what only your spirit can do. You can make the things that are wrong and turn them into the right. Things that are not connected, that you would connect them. And you would bring wholeness and healing in every single person's situation, I pray. And I also know that I'm praying from a limited perspective. And so I also want to pray that if you have different plans for me and for my friends, and you're asking us to lean into you, with sustaining grace that you would be our strength that you would be our portion that you would be the one that we lean into and when the pain surges we would press into you like never before and give glory to your name because this is not all there is that one day we will have full healing and full restoration standing in your presence and that will be a day we will rejoice forevermore and so if you don't bring healing now, would you give us hope for the full healing that's coming later? And I pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.